So around the year 1930, there was a chef, or I guess a baker, named uh, Ruth Wakefield. And she ran the Toll House Inn in Massachusetts. Um, Ruth was renowned for her desserts. People traveled from near and far to eat what she baked. One night, she was attempting to make a batch of her famous chocolate butter drop dew cookies, which I don't, I don't know what that is, but it sounds really good. Um, Keely probably knows. Uh, anyway, in the middle of making these, she realized that her baker's chocolate, which is apparently a fundamental element of this, uh, was missing or it was gone. She used it all up. So she looked through her kitchen and found a block of semi-sweet um, chocolate and decided to chop it up and mix it into the dough, hoping that it would melt into and disperse into the dough like baker's chocolate would. Um, well, unfortunately for Ruth's plans, but fortunately for all of us, the chocolate didn't melt. It just became gooey and melty and awesome. And Ruth, completely unintentionally, made the first batch of chocolate chip cookies, and the world has never been the same. There she is. Look at her go. Um, they were an instant hit. Guests love them. I love them. You should love them. Uh, Ruth later tried to change the story and say that it was all on purpose and she knew what she was doing, but whatever, Ruth. We know the truth. <laughs> Nate, it is so weird that you're in a taco costume right in my peripheral vision. <laughs> uh, Anyway, the point of this story about Ruth is that uh, such a joyfully delicious thing like the chocolate chip cookie was the result of inventive creativity. Ruth had a problem uh, making cookies, but she was out of baker's chocolate. And uh, she got creative. She used what she had, and the results were amazing. It's one more reason to be happy that you were born after 1930. Um, now, I've told this story about Ruth and accidentally making chocolate chip cookies before uh, because I love it and because it's a wonderfully unassuming, to me, a wonderfully unassuming illustration of what, of a very Christ-like way of living. Uh, come across a problem, get inventive, get creative, be resourceful with what you already have to address the problem, and maybe change the world at the same time. Uh, that kind of creative resourcefulness with what we already have is an important idea, especially um, this year, as we think about what it means to be a Christian in the U.S. in 2020. I don't have to tell you this, but I'm going to. Uh, we're suffering through a pan pandemic that seems to be re-spiking. Um, we're experiencing friction and division and, and protests around racism and justice. Uh, we have seemingly endless riots and violence. We have an extremely divisive presidential campaign, and we're one week away <laughs> this time next week, we'll know just as much as we do now uh, from an election. We're one week away from an election that is going to almost certainly add more bitterness and division and chaos into the mix. So how can we as people of faith navigate these difficult and painful and scary things? As I said at the beginning tonight, we're concluding our vision series, um, which in which we tried to start to tackle that very question. Um, over the last two weeks, we talked about uh, moving and growing up towards God uh, and moving and growing in towards each other. And tonight we're talking about moving and growing out towards the world. Or as we say around here, joining God to reduce suffering and increasing joy in the world. Uh, I'm excited about tonight because I get to teach one of my, well, I get to first talk about chocolate chip cookies, which is always a good time, but I get to teach one of my favorite stories of Jesus uh, that Jesus tells uh, the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is a creative story that was really challenging at the time and is still <laughs> super challenging to us today. Um, 
It's a story of inventive creativity. And that is what we need in 2020. That is what 2020 requires from us. The story has a lot to say about uh, this idea of creatively addressing problems and joining God to reduce suffering and increase joy um, by inventively using what we already have at our disposal. Um, So I'm just going to read the whole story for us. This is Luke 10 verses 25 through 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him pass by on the other side, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went down to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So an expert in the law asked Jesus, hey man, what do I have to do to live forever? And Jesus, as he so often does, doesn't answer him, but turns around, turns it around and asks the man, well, like, what do you think? And the, the man responds with, uh, love God and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, yeah, great. So do that. And the man presses further and says, well, who is my neighbor? Um, and in the text, it kind of sounds like the man is doing this for nefarious reasons where it's like a bad question, but it's a question that I really appreciate. And it's one that I probably would have asked too. Um, when I hear something that applies to everyone that is like universal, like love everyone that's overwhelming and can be really complicated. Um, this guy asked what people have been, had been asking since the command first appeared in the old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus. Um, how can I make this command more manageable and realistic? And Jesus responds by telling this famous story of the good Samaritan. Um, in this story, I think we see a beautiful picture of just what moving out, what reducing suffering and increasing joy can look like. So we're just going to go through it bit by bit and then talk about it afterwards. So Jesus starts the story by saying a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. The road from Jerusalem to Jericho was Jerusalem was up high and Jericho was down low. So it was like a steep incline the whole way. And it was really twisty and windy, and it was rocky all around it. Um, So it was really famous for having all these little hiding spots for robbers to ambush travelers on. It was really unsafe to travel, especially alone, as the guy in our story found out. Uh, Picking back up, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. This these two sentences at just the beginning of the story would already have had everyone who's listening to Jesus really upset and offended. Um, He doesn't say it outright, but it's strongly implied that the main character, 
the guy who got beat up in this story is a, a Jewish man and it's a priest. And then a Levite, a Levite is basically like a junior priest uh, who refused to help the man, people who should know better people who are supposed to be the best of the best of Israel, the best of the best of his very people, this man who needs help. Not only do they not help him, but they go out of their way to ignore him in when he needs them the most. Verse 33, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. So Jesus's whole detail about a priest and a Levite would have already made people mad. And then this would have just pushed them over the edge because Samaritans were considered like nothing by the Jews. They were looked down on. Um, really both sides hated each other. And this stemmed from something that happened a thousand years before Jesus is telling the story, which is a really long time to hold a grudge. Um, to make a long story short, basically Samaritans were descendants of people who were also Hebrew. They were a part of the original nation and kingdom of Israel. But uh, again, around a thousand years before Jesus is telling this story, they became a separate nation after a civil war divided Israel into two separate kingdoms. Eventually these people, the, the ancestors of the Samaritans intermarried with non-Hebrew people, which was a big no, no at the time. And ever since then, they've been seen as traitors and like half breeds uh, by the rest of the Jewish people. Hundreds of years after they've intermarried, uh, when the Jewish people have gone into exile and then come back from exile to rebuild um, Jerusalem, rebuild their culture and their lives, uh, and the temple, they come to rebuild the temple, the Samaritans show up and try to help the Jewish people rebuild. Because again, they're Hebrew too. They worship God also, and they need a place to do that. Uh, but the Jewish people forcefully rejected the Samaritans. So the Samaritans are like, fine, we're, we'll build our own temple. So they went back to their country, which is Samaria, which makes sense, and built their own temple, which again is a big no-no. There's supposed to only be one. It's supposed to be in Jerusalem. Fast forward to about 100 years before Jesus is born. Um, the Jewish people are so mad that the Samaritans built their own temple that they invade Samaria and they destroy their temple. Then about the time that Jesus is born, the Samaritans strike back and they defile the Jewish temple by somehow, I, I shouldn't laugh about this. They somehow sneak a bunch of bones of dead people into the temple and spread them all about. It's like really intense, really violent, practical jokes. Um, so basically these two people, these two groups of people, the Samaritans and the Jews have been, I shouldn't have said practical jokes because they're basically committing terrorist, uh, terrorist acts against each other. Um, for the last thousand years, there, there's deep seated hatred between these two groups of people, even though they follow the same go God, even though they come from the same people, they hate each other. So Jesus could not have picked a more offensive hero for this story. It, he, it basically be saying like, um, you got beat up and left for dead on the road and Gandhi and mother Teresa passed by and was like, I'm not helping that guy. And then uh, an Islamic jihadist stops and helps you. Uh, it, it would be like Jesus telling this story to a crowd of BLM protesters, but with the Samaritan being the Samaritan, the hero being a white racist police officer. That's how like unexpected and inflammatory and like, you don't say that kind of stuff here, guy stuff is going on here. Whomever you consider to be other, or maybe even your enemy, put that label, put that in place of the Samaritan. Maybe for you, it's Trump and Republicans or, or Biden and Democrats 
or it's people wearing MAGA hats or people wearing BLM shirts, or maybe it's much more direct and personal for you. Maybe it's a former friend. Maybe it's a family member. The person that you would least expect to ever come to your rescue, that's who Jesus is portraying as the hero here. So getting back to this story, this man is beaten and robbed. He's left for dead on the side of the road. The two people that should be the most ready to help him walk by and just keep on going. Um, But the Samaritan, who would have every reason to be glad to see a Jewish man dying on the side of the road, instead has compassion for him. Compassion is willingness to suffer uh, with someone else, to take on their suffering. And he, the, the Samaritan sees this problem in front of him, this Jewish man that needs help, and he gets inventive and creative with all of the resources that he has at his disposal to address the problem. Picking back up in verse 34, Jesus says, he went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Um, we're not told whether the Samaritan is in a hurry or what he's actually up to. Um, we just know that he's traveling around. Uh, But we know that, as we just found out, this is a really dangerous area. This is not a good place to, like, stop and hang out. So the Samaritan is putting himself in danger here, abandoning his own plans and stopping to help this uh, Jewish man. And he immediately starts tending to him, using all the resources that he has. Unless the Samaritan have to be traveling with bandages, which was really rare at the time, uh, he would have had to tear his own clothes to make bandages um, for this man. He pours on his own wine onto the man's wounds to disinfect them and then oil to soothe them. Uh, Giving up oil and wine means that the Samaritan is now sacrificing his own comfort and his own well-being in order to help the Jewish man. Jesus continues, then he put the man on his donkey, brought him to an inn and took care of him. Uh, This means now the Samaritan is walking instead of riding his own donkey, allowing the Jewish man to ride the horse. So he's more uncomfortable and he's it's going to take a lot longer to get anywhere that they're going since they can only travel as fast as he can walk. He brings the man to an inn and doesn't just drop him off, but stays with him. Um, takes care of him there at the end. Taking care of someone is a really intimate and vulnerable thing, especially if you don't know this person at all. Uh, but the Samaritan doesn't hesitate in doing whatever he can to reduce this man's suffering. The story continues. The next day he went out, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So not only did the Samaritan not just drop this guy off at the inn, he took care of him through the night. So he's hours off of whatever schedule he was trying to keep. He's already given this man so much, but just continues to give him more. He pays the innkeeper enough for the man to stay at the inn and get food and rest for several days. And then goes even further, telling the innkeeper, if he needs to stay longer or needs more food or whatever, more than whatever this will pay, don't charge him. I'll come back on my way and pay the tab. That's immensely trusting on the part of the Samaritan. Um, He's trusting someone who he should not, based on nationality and history. Um, And this Jewish man that he doesn't know could easily take advantage of his generosity. He could rack up a huge bill at this inn. He could uh, go to town on the minibar. He could order movies. He could order filet mignon. He could order piles of ice cream. Uh, I just think about Home Alone 2 and all the room service that gets racked up. Um, Samaritan is putting himself at great financial risk doing this. But he does so because he saw the man in need and had compassion and knew that he could do something, many things, it turns out, to meet this man's needs with the resources that he already had with him. And Jesus then asks, who was the neighbor to the robbed and beaten man? Was it his countrymen, his fellow Israelites and followers of God's law? Was it his people 
No, it was the other. It was the outsider. It was the foreigner. It was the enemy. It was the last person that should ever do anything for this man who actually acted. Jesus's answer to the original question, uh, who is my neighbor is, is pretty clear. Everyone, everyone is our neighbor. And loving your neighbor as yourself looks like this beautiful over the top picture that Jesus has just painted. And then he says, go and do the same thing. That's a, <laughs> that's a tall order, right? I love this story. And at the same time, basically anytime I come across it or stories like it or ideas like talking about moving out, it feels really daunting and overwhelming to me. Uh, it feels like something that I'm not naturally good at and something that will be really hard and burdensome for me to try to do. Um, I feel like I'm going to, I'm going to have to rearrange my whole life and, and really I feel like I'm going to have to become someone that I'm not. And I think maybe that's the key thing for me. It feels like I'm being asked to be someone I'm not like I have to become a missionary or, or uh, an evangelist or um, a social justice warrior. I know people often use that pejoratively. I don't mean it that way. I mean, someone who is like fully invested in this, uh, or it feels like at the very least I have to become an extroverted bubbly person. And, uh, don't get me wrong. I love extroverted bubbly people. Um, I'm just not one, which I know comes as a shock to all of you in the room. Um, I'm not any of these things and I, I don't want to be, and I don't, I don't actually think God needs me to be. I think I, and, and maybe you, if you're like me, tend to overthink this. Um, Ruth Wakefield wasn't trying to invent anything new. She was just using what she had to address an issue that came up. She had no existential crisis about being a baker when she didn't have baking chocolate. She just was using what she had to do what she already know what knew, what she already knew how to do. And likewise, the Samaritan wasn't necessar necessarily out looking for people in need. We're told nothing about it being his life's mission and purpose to come across and care for robbed and beaten Jewish men. This dude was just out walking, living his life, walking between towns. He wasn't out trying to fix the world's problems, but when a problem showed up in his life, he didn't hesitate to use what he already had to address it. He was open and responsive and compassionate when someone who needed help entered his life. I think this is the heart and posture of what God is calling you and I toward. This is what moving out is all about. Not to pretend to be people that we aren't and up in our lives to pursue something that we don't feel called to, but instead to simply respond to what God is already doing in the life you're already living. To be inventively creative with the resources that we already have. To compassionately respond and care for people as God brings them into our lives. This is a really tough year. People are hurting. People are scared. People are navigating all kinds of uncertainty in their jobs and their finances and their relationships and their health. We are all spread really thin. God isn't calling you to fix any of those things. You can't do everything for everyone, but you can do something for someone, someone who's already in your life. So who are the people in your life already who uh, don't have a connection to faith or better yet, who is one person or one family already in your life with no connection to faith that you know of, they could be close to you um, or just someone that you interact with often. They could not be someone, you know, very well, like a coworker, a neighbor, a mailman, a barista. Uh, if you're a parent uh, or a caretaker, maybe it's another parent or family at your kid's school or, or kid's team or whatever. I, 
I'm sure you have someone in mind already. Um, and if you don't, I'm sure that you can figure out who this might be. Using the resources already at your disposal, so yourself relationally, your time, your possessions, your money, any resources you have, how can you move out toward that person or family this next month? How can you move out toward them to reduce suffering, any suffering that they're experiencing, or to add some joy to their lives, or both? I think we should all try this, and I'm not asking you to seek out random strangers. I'm talking about people you already know. We don't really, most of us don't have capacity to add any more relationships in our lives. There's people in your life that you already know who need to know that God loves them. And I'm not asking you to try to convert these people. Uh, I'm asking you to have compassion and genuinely care for them and put that care into uh, inventively creative action. Like Ruth, uh, like the Good Samaritan, be inventive, be creative. Use what you already have to bless someone who's already in your life. We're called to be people who move and grow out toward the world around us, to be inventively creative, again, with the resources that we already have. We don't need to go get new things to take care of people. Using what we already have to compassionately respond and care for people as God brings them into our lives. Again, you can't do everything for everyone, but you can do something for someone. So who is that someone? And what is the something you can do for them? That's it. It's pretty simple. You don't have to move to Africa. You don't have to become a missionary. You don't have to pretend to be anyone who you aren't. Just respond to the people that are already in your life. That's not to say if you want to move to Africa or want to be a missionary that you shouldn't do those things. I think that's great. But it's definitely not all of us. Who is the someone and what is the something you can do for them? We pray with me. God, thank you um, for the many ways that you have blessed all of us. God, I pray that we um, will not try to hold on to those blessings, but will spread them around to the other people in our lives. That we will take what you've given us and use it to uh, point back to you, to use it to reduce suffering and, in and increase joy. Um, for people who need to know that someone cares about them. God, I pray that you would bring um, someone or some family to mind for all of us, that we can be um, moving out toward in big or small ways over this next month. God, thank you that you trust us with um, bringing heaven to earth. And may we find that um, empowering and uplifting and energizing and not overwhelming and daunting. We love you, God. Amen.